Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hey guys, it's your homegirls. We are here today with the one and only Miss Tamika Bryant, who is amazing. And I'm so excited she agreed to come on today. So I'm going to give her a few minutes to intro herself and all of her amazingness. Um, so Tamika, floor is yours. All right, there you guys. Um, I'm going to say, I'll put this out there right now. I hope this is, is this G-rated? No. Or is this... <laughs> Because sometimes I cuss, so I'll put that out there right now. I'm a kid from the Bronx. I grew up in the Bronx, New York. So I left the Bronx when I was around 24. Um, the, there was an organization, a uh, national nonprofit organization that serves youth, recruited me to move from New York to Atlanta. And then they recruited me from the Atlanta corporate office to Kansas City. And a year and a half in, I was doing amazing. I was their vice president, making my six figures. And at 9 a.m., March 23rd, I got a call into the office and said, you're terminated. And then at 10 a.m., I looked up because I was still in shock for like all this for an hour. And I looked up and my husband was in the lobby and he came in and he says, they terminated me also. And so 9 a.m. I'm terminated, 10 a.m. he's terminated. And it took me about a month to cry, be depressed. And then I started the real estate company um, in May. <laughs> so that's how I got into real estate. And I just tell people, you know, right from the beginning, that's why my story is the way it is. Because in order for me to have to survive, I had to do all of these different things in real estate. And that's where I came up with Be Niched because the one thing I found is here I am in a city that I wasn't from and I had to figure out real estate really quickly on how, what was I gonna do? Because I knew I was not going to just run and hide. I was gonna sue this bastard for trying to destroy my family. So that's kind of what happened. And that's how I got into real estate full time. Cause I mean, even though I was an investor, I was a small investor, not knowing what I was doing before, um, you know, I got into really doing what I'm doing now, but I did not plan on being in real estate the way I'm in real estate. So where are you at today? You're in Panama city, right? Uh, so today I am the president of the brokerage, which is called the real estate house. And my main, the main office is in Kansas city in the Kansas city metro area. So we service both Missouri and Kansas. And I really loved the Kansas city market because it allowed me to slow down and my normal New York space, the Midwest, I'm, you know, it was a great place to raise the kids and slow down and learn. And then I eventually, about three years ago now, I opened an office in Panama City Beach. But that's my sixth office now um, that we've uh, opened. And really, Panama City Beach, I went there to do a project for some investors. 
and fell in love with it. And then all of a sudden I saw the largest contract coming in from the government. And I was like, I need to stay here because that's gonna mean a lot of growth and a lot of development. And pretty much I wanted to be on the beach with my toes out. Sounds like my dream. <laughs> How many rental properties do you own now or investment properties? Uh, they're about, um, when I, I have to think because I started my son investing as well. So some properties we own together. So if I take his properties out, then, and then of course I own properties in my companies that I don't own with my husband, uh, just because, you know, I watch too many Lifetime movies or something, but. Um, <laughs> a girl's got to have a solid back door. This is the back door <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. My Nana taught me that. And um, so I, about maybe a little over 20 or so rentals um, is probably where we are. And then the rest of our, our nucleus, our family, uh, my son, my husband, my daughter doesn't really play in real estate the way we do. They all own a variety of different stuff. So they buy, my son and my husband buy, they buy a lot of lots. Um, they just buy different stuff than I do. Um, that, that was one thing that we realized would allow us to stay married is that our investment strategies were so different. So when you talk about having a niche, niche, mm -hmm. um, what do you, what's the first place that you get, help somebody focus to find what their niche is? Normally the, they have to first be honest with themselves because a lot of people really got into the business of this real estate thing because they went to someone and told someone, oh, I really want to be in real estate. And somebody told them, go to real estate school. So the only thing that they knew was to be a traditional real estate salesperson. And you know, to be a traditional salesperson, you've got to enjoy people, right? So there are a lot of people who don't enjoy, for, don't, they just don't enjoy people. And so that's the first part of, let's have that real conversation. Like, do you really want to work with people all day with their craziness and all their other stuff and are you gonna are you okay with being a psychiatrist this week and then you know if, if you're okay with that then let's look at some of those things but normally i have to sit down with people and just say let's be real do you like people do you like um doing what you're doing tell me all the things you don't want to do and then tell me all the things that make you happy um, and a lot of times people have niches that they never have connected to because of they didn't look at what they liked in their previous job. And so a lot of what they could be doing could be connected to what they previously did, but they don't know that those opportunities exist. So an example of that was me um, in 10 years that I had sold real estate because I got in, of course, I lost my job and I had to replace the six figure income right that was also the year that i knew my mom had been diagnosed she was diagnosed with fourth stage cancer so i knew she was going to die that year and it was no way i could go back home to new york i didn't have any parents at this point my dad was deceased my grandparents were deceased and the only living relative that we could go to was my husband's mom who lived in the projects and i was not about to go to nobody's damn projects okay i didn't grow up in the projects and i wasn't going to the projects so i had to figure this stuff out here in kansas city and in that 10 years guys i closed over 2500 transactions in 10 years with myself and my crazy sister as an admin and so 
the one thing I found out was that I didn't really like being a traditional agent. So the first thing I did in the first year is I went out and sought to get a Freddie Mac contract. And I found how to get the contract for the state and went and did it. And then the next thing I knew I had both states, Missouri and Kansas. And I loved that business because it fit my personality. I only had to deal with the crazy, you know. Asset manager. I exactly. Love Aria. Aria was the best. Exactly. They curse. I curse. Nobody gave a damn. We just put the house back on the market. And then I would just go to uh, the association and train agents on how to put their offers in to get them accepted. Mm-hmm. And so I love that part of the business. It was like fast nickels. Nobody gave a damn, you know, I have one client, one, you know, I mean, I had several asset managers, but they all, they didn't really, they, there was no emotion in it. You know, there was nobody crying about a pink wall that they wasn't sure if they wanted to write the offer because the wall was pink. Cause you know, the old me would be like, well, damn it, I'll buy you a bucket of paint. Like, let's go chop, chop. And you, you know, everybody does not, you know, relate to that. So I found out early that the investors and banks were where I needed to be. And then I knew a lot about grant writing from my previous job. So I went after government contracts uh, for real estate and did that. So that's when I started just expanding into that space of, what makes sense for me and how do I tie those into my previous jobs? And then what does this whole thing of real estate really look like? And the more I dug in guys, the more I found out. So the more I found out about MLS by being an MLS president, the more I found out about you know, NAR and all their different divisions because then I became an instructor for NAR because I was already an adjunct professor. So there was just, there's so many things, you know, within our real estate space and a lot of folks just don't ever tap, tap into it. Well, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this right now, because like in our little group of four here, we've been having this internal conversation about this girl, very sweet. I don't even know her well enough to speak about her, but like to us, she feels like the real estate slut because like she, so all of us now at this point have been in the business, like five, 10, 15, 20 years. Right. And so we have landed on our niches, like kind of accidentally, maybe on purpose. I'm not even really sure, but it's been a long time now. So we know what we like and what we want to do. Right. Right. This chick it's been wild because, you know, she's down, she lives in like one end of the state and we're watching her take referrals and list and help buyers in another literal end of the state. That's like four hours away. And our market is on fire right now. Like, you know, if you're not at the house within the first five hours that it's listed and you're not coming way over list price with no appraisal and no inspection, like you're not getting the house. And so we're like, how is she even appropriately servicing her clients if she has to drive four freaking hours to get up there to show them the house, right? right but, right. you know, I had made the comment too, like stepping back and really thinking about it. It's something maybe not to that extreme degree, but that we all did at the beginning of our career. I mean, at the beginning of your career, you go where the money is, right? You got to go 
where the client wants to go, but it is a trip now being like a more seasoned agent, watching someone brand new who doesn't know what a niche is or even what they want, like chase their tail all over the state. Exactly. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm at a point now I'm like, guys, there's so many different things, you know, we can do. Uh, when, like within the first two years, I was doing commercial loans through my local bank. I didn't need a license to do it. But I figured out that if I was working with investors who needed funding and I went to the local bank and I could put that deal together, I could get paid. Mm -hmm. So the more I did that, then the more developers and other people were like, well, you can find us financing. I'm like, sure, it's a fee for that. And I started charging fees to my investors. So it didn't make sense for me to have all of these different things I needed to do and go four hours over here when I had three or four developers right here in Kansas City who all needed financing and then all needed creative ways in order to sell their properties and move their properties if they were developing in the urban core or whatever it was they were doing. And then, you know, tying them into the city projects and all those other things. It was like, I'm right here. And that's what's unfortunate about, you know, our market when brokers are brokers you know they do what they're supposed to do and it's on the agent to kind of figure out their business right so it's more than just let me go ahead and fill in the blanks on this contract you still have to figure out your own and own your own business you gotta own your own shit and a lot of people don't come in looking at it that way it takes you guys being seasoned seasoned right to kind of be like, well, shit, nobody's going to come save me. <laughs> I've got to, I got to figure this out. Like, I really have to figure this out. And so that's what Benish is all about. It's taking them through, hey, here's a variety of different things, including niches that don't require a real estate license. You know, so. <laughs> wow. Um, so I have a question for you. Sure. When it comes to starting a niche, it's not just, okay, I figured out that I want to work with, let's say military families. What do you do next? Like you have to start learning about those families and it can't just be, okay, I've decided. And now all the business is going to come in. What do you do next? Like, what are those different steps that you can take, um, to learn, um, about that niche and what they need? and how to separate yourself so that everyone knows that you are the go-to for that niche. Because right. Lindsay and I did it on accident, I think, with New Build. And all of a sudden people came to us and were like, hey, I need to find this house in this neighborhood. Like, who do you know? And I'm like, go look. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've been doing this for 15 years. Y'all can look. <laughs> we have the same access to all the same information. But it's kind of interesting to see, you know, other agents coming to or gravitating towards one agent and saying, hey, this agent obviously knows more about this particular thing. So how do you become that particular agent within a group of agents? So typically, and this is the one thing I say to them all the time, is once you identify your niche, you then have to go study it. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to study. <laughs> like, they do not want to study. And I'm like, okay. Um, you're going to have to study this. And then after you study this, the next step is that you got to master it. And so you can't skip from I'm identifying my niche and then go to mastery. 
without studying and understanding what the hell is going on and how these all, all these things work and and everything in between and the majority of agents do not want to do that part and so that's yeah. why i tell them you're going to stay stuck in going back in your circle over and over and over until you commit to the studying process of this niche because there's no way and i tell them and the way i know if you've studied and you've mastered it is that there's no way in hell i should know more about your niche than you do yep because <laughs> my niche is over here now and i'm no longer studying this and so I never forget, I was doing um, development work with developers on some new construction and projects and uh, folks were saying, oh, okay, well, um, can you show me how to work with developers and things like that? And I'm like, well, one thing I can show you is I can coach you or teach you or train. no, we cannot go out to get a cup of coffee and I can't show you that because there's no way that I can show you how to put all this together over a cup of coffee and it's right. an insult, you know, on top of that, it's an insult. By the time it takes me to put on my clothes, put on some makeup, look halfway decent, get to the place, sit with you, then leave, that's a four hour day. Mm -hmm. Right. My hourly rate is way more than this cup of coffee or this lunch that you're trying to give me. So let's go back and look at what is it you really wanna do and are you willing to put the time in to, to master this niche because there was no way that I should be able to come into someone's market, right? Brand new into Kansas City and dominate their real estate market. The reason I was able to do it was because no one was studying their niche. So when I went to this one developer and I said, I've created a program where the person can get the house and the car when they close, for this particular project because they were having such a hard time selling. Um, and he's like, well, how did you do that? Don't worry about how I did it. Just, can I get this contract to, to do this thing? He said, oh yeah, let's see if you could do it. Nobody else was willing to take the time and go do that. Nobody else was willing to go sit with, you know, city council people and find the money from NAR to do homebuyer workshops and, get the grant money from NAR and nobody was willing to do that portion of the work, yep. you know? So that's why I'm like, I don't, you're willing to pull, you know, roll up your sleeves and get to work, then you can dominate and really be successful in your market. But most of them won't do that. That's because I think they're conditioned to want something instantly. If they don't have instant gratification, it's like their minds go somewhere else. Like automatically it's not worth the time. Right. If it doesn't happen immediately. And I will tell you, this does not happen immediately. This is a long game. This is not a short game. Um, and it's not just about knowing everything there is to know about the real estate portion of that niche. It's, right. you, you know, you need to know everything about the lending side of it too. Mm -hmm. You need to know about all of those grant programs, all the different lingo that might go along with it. It's, it's a different language than you're used to speaking. And if you don't know all of those things, you can only fake it for so long until you get <laughs> called on your shit. Because it's going right. to happen. Um, and you're going to look ridiculous. So you're doing yourself a disservice if you're thinking that this is going to happen overnight. If you think that real estate success happens overnight, then you are likely not going to be somebody that ever has a niche that is ever, you know, referral based business running. You're probably going to be an agent that just needs to buy leads. And that's what, not what we're teaching you. We're teaching you how to, you know, grow a niche and grow a sphere without having to pay for leads. And have the most loyal customer base ever. 
And we've talked about that before in Tamika. I'm guessing, so when did you come into the business? Uh, 2004 is when Right, I so like, leads weren't even a thing. Like when yeah. we came up in this business, that was not a thing that you did. Like it was not right. like, ooh, I'm slow. My grandpa gave me $500 for Christmas. I'm gonna throw it at Zillow and buy some leads. Like that was right. not a thing. The only leads that you got were from the leads that you got from putting your damn feet on the ground and your brain in the business. Like it was, there was no safety net like that. So like Facebook, nothing. (laughs) So I, I got into the real estate business in about 2003, 2004 is when I got in, obviously right before the crash. And what I'm seeing from then to now is then when you got your real estate license and you weren't putting the work in and you weren't getting any, any deals going, you were done within 30 to 60 days. People were already going to a nine to five job. Fast forward to now, after the crash, the market's fantastic and everybody and their mother wants to get their real estate license because they see that the market's high, they see it's easy. And guys, essentially kind of is for them. Because everybody and their mother wants to, you know, so it is kind of easy. So it kind of makes me wonder, all these people that have gotten in within the last five to six years, what's going to happen even now, right now? Right like, now. It's hard. Like, you cannot get listings. You cannot get listings. We have we have zero houses for sale right now. What are those people doing? In it's way easier, though, because, like, when we started, you could not go on Facebook. And right. Like- 5,000 people that are my friends and 25,000, there were no Facebook ads. There was no Zillow. There wasn't even, oh, I'm struggling. I'm going to go join someone's team who can train me or give me leads. Like literally none of that existed. It was bootstrapping. And And I Kristen, you're right that all of that stuff has kind of done a disservice to agents because like they, they don't have to learn how to work. Dude, when I got into the real estate business and I got my real estate license, I was making phone calls from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. because that was the only time I had to myself to work on my business. I did that until I got listings and buyers. I did not stop. Like, I don't think agents understand how to work these days. They don't, and they don't want to. And even when you tell a lot of them, they still won't do it. (laughs) So that's why for me, the ones that are like, oh, I want to get on your team. And I'm like, okay, well, here is what you have to do the first 30 days. Let's see if you do it. And 90% of what they have to do is lead generate. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so if they can't do that and they can't stay, I mean, they're off the team in 30 days. That's why I said, you guys don't want this, not for real. What you want is someone to hand you leads, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to happen because the business that I bring in from developers and stuff is not going to be handed to you. You're going to have to go out there and work to be on this particular team because you have to learn so many things before you can get to this level of working with it directly with a developer and all those, you know, whatever else we've got going on over there. And they don't want to do it. I always say they want the HGTV version. They don't want the behind the scenes version. They want the glitz and the glam. They don't want the, I'm picking up dog shit to get my listing ready for photos. Like, oh my God, if I see one more agent in one of these big national Facebook groups post something like, 
I cannot freaking believe I had to show this buyer four houses because <laughs> we lost out on the first three. Like Tamika, tell me what it was like in the REO days when all there was was inventory as far as the eye. Like, and it's your buyer first. Yeah, your buyer would be like, mm, I know I've seen 65 houses, but maybe <laughs> it's just the one. Because there was like no urgency because they had everything on the planet to look at and no timeline because nobody was selling shit. So like, I, I it makes me want to scream. Me too, me too. It's, just, it's crazy. And I'm, I sit there and I'm, I mean, they complain about all kinds of stuff from, you know, they don't want to put in this offer or this offer. I'm like, you don't get to make those decisions like you can advise and then you do like what is going on i'm just like okay I, I i don't get it but there is still no way in hell for me right now i'm looking at the agents in my office and i'm going so you guys are just going to, some of you are just going to sit, sit there and wait for the market to do what or i'm like because i've got 30 i got 30 properties they're just off market they're not on mls so are we going to sit and wait for sellers or are you going to start knocking on doors, start calling on investors, doing whatever it takes to do this business? Or is this not a business for you? Is this a hobby? Yeah, I feel like in some ways it was easier for us when we started because we had no choice but to succeed. Our yeah. back was against the wall. And if we didn't kick ass, we were going to be homeless. And I feel like a lot of people now, they have a spouse that might, you know, work outside the business and have secure income. And so I feel like that's almost a hindrance for these agents. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for the struggles that we had when we were coming mm -hmm. up, learning the business, because I didn't have a choice, but to, you know, succeed. And right. I feel like that safety blanket that they have is such a hindrance. And I wish that they would understand that if you wanted something so badly, you wanted success so badly, you would do anything to get it. Anything. I wish we could teach people how have that mindset even though they might have other income coming in and i i haven't figured it out yet and it's been 20 years and i don't know how to teach people that that is the instinct that you have to have honestly to be successful in this business is you always have to be searching for the next transaction the next thing the next thing that's going to make you money um you know and understanding how to keep growing and not stop because it's the second that you stop that you have that oh shit mentality. Like I'm now broke for the next three months. I took off of all of December <laughs> and I don't have anything in the pipeline for January. But I think if we had that mindset year round, you'd always be busy and you'd be doing 2,500 transactions in 10 years, right? That's what you have to have. But how do we train not just newer agents, but older agents to change that mindset? Can you change you can't. I mean, I have a husband who works. I take the month of December off. It doesn't, you either have a, a work ethic or you don't like that can't be taught. And I truly believe that like you either have it in you or you don't. And I don't care how much training or I mean, I've coached multiple agents, right? You can't train somebody to grind. It's just the truth. No, it's you not can't. I've, I've argued about that with a former business partner, like repeatedly when we were in the hiring process for agents on our team and he would say, I love this person. And I would say, there's no way. Like you, <laughs> I can teach anything. I can teach skill, knowledge, like anything. You cannot teach hunger and you cannot teach drive. And it's you can't, just you just can't teach hustle. You can't teach yeah. hustle. Yeah. And that's what I always tell folks. I'm like, if you don't trust your hustle, why should I? Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. And my daughter is the first person to tell, to, to look at my family. Cause she's the one we call one speed. 
because she just stays steady. She's she's never gonna have a heart attack or anything. And she's like, look, you, I watch you guys hustle because my husband is from New York as well. We both grew up in the Bronx between Harlem and the Bronx. He's, she's like, I watch you guys. You guys can hustle. You guys, now I'm a product of you. So I, it wasn't inherited. You can't teach it to me. You guys cannot make me move any faster than what I am. She's never late. She just is not in, she does not have that hustle spirit in anything that she does. And so when I watch agents and I coach a lot of brokers and you know whoever else comes across my path and I'm looking and I'm like, you don't, you don't want it bad enough, obviously. You know, um, I got a call from a text from one of the agents last night and she's like, oh, I want this house. I'm like, well, how bad do you want it? She's like, really bad. I said, no, you don't, because you wouldn't even have had time to call me to tell me about it. You would have already, already went and got it and then came back and said, I already did this. So, you know, I, I just watch them. And if they don't match for me, if people don't match my level of hustle and they're in my immediate circle, then it's normally not going to work. We normally, it's a short <laughs> lived thing because I've got places to go and things I want to do. And I watched my grandmother at the age of, you know, she had my mom at 14 and moved from Texas to Harlem because her dad was beating her because she was a, a young mom, a teenage mom. And I watched the woman who did not finish, they finished the eighth grade, did not finish any other school go work for the first job she could find was for the uh, Bronx Mafia. And I watched her raise three kids, all the grandkids with a hustle and an intellect that could be beat by anyone. So I don't have the patience like a lot of folks have when I'm saying, here you guys have everything. You've got social media, you've got associations there to help, you've got free training, you've got YouTube and all these other things. And all you really have to do is show up and have some kind of work ethic at this point. And so if you can't do that with all the tools you have, then nah, that's not, you know, you're probably not, <laughs> you're not a fit. Yeah, you're <laughs> not a fit anyway. That always, always like to me, you know, when everybody's always like on lab coat agents, no diss against lab coats, we love them. But you know, when they're, when they're on there and they're like, um, top producers, can you please tell me what it is that you do to be a top producer? And like, in my mind, I literally read those posts and I'm like, I can't tell you. Like it's, there isn't anything to say. Like I didn't invent something magical. I didn't create some new vertical of business. I just work. Like I'm work the last it. to shut down for the night. I'm the first up in the morning. Okay. I'm never going to take no for an answer. And that's literally it like I get knocked down and kicked in the ass and I get back up that's literally the only difference work in my it. mind between a top producer and someone who can't succeed is the work exactly, exactly. that's it so and like you said you either have it or you don't right <laughs> that's you, need to, you need to do something to get hungry <laughs> real fast like you know Tony Robbins talks about um he says burn the ships which means like you know if you're if you're on an island and you have to figure out how to survive on the island, you need to burn all the boats in the bay because that means that you're truly stuck there and there's no way off the island, right? Like if you're not hungry and you're not driven and you really want to succeed in this business, then burn the boats and like figure out a way to make yourself hungry, you know? That's scary for some 
for some people because I can see them just we'd eat them because yeah. they just <laughs> they give up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we'd be on the island figuring it out, be like they're they're just sitting there crying. So we're and gonna, I think we're gonna I eat them. And then... <laughs> coming soon because there are a lot of agents in this business that just aren't willing to do what it succeed it takes to succeed. And like this is a this is a very different kind of market than we came up in, which was very small amount of agents. Like we literally had a tenth of the amount of licensed agents that we do now, but you know, Jessica, I think it was Jess that just posted this and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but she said something like there are 2000 houses listed in the entire state of Colorado. So that means that there's one agent on the buy side and one agent on the listing side, only 4,000 agents this month are going to eat. Right. So like, even though it's very different than it was back then where the scarcity was like, you couldn't sell a house, nobody was buying because they were afraid of the market. Now it's like, almost worse scarcity in my opinion because it's so competitive and it's so compressed that if you don't get your shit together you won't make it in this business and I hate to say that but it's the truth yeah they're saying what uh that we're down nationally about 40 percent of inventory yep 40 percent of inventory is off the market and then <laughs> what the hell are people doing and so the the thing about our industry though is that there's so many organizations and groups that thrive off of and you know they make a great living off the agents who are not doing anything mm -hmm. okay so all of those agents who aren't doing anything and paying into associations and dues and you know everything else that's a you know it's a good hustle for a lot of associations so a lot of that is not going to change they're going to keep signing people up and bringing them into the market and you know and just hey it is what it is because we could actually stop the number of agents or increase education there's a lot of things we could do that wouldn't allow for folks to come in but the system is set up so that a lot of organizations continue to employ staff continue to eat all those kind of things and so that's why i'm always an advocate of telling folks when they're coming through the door let's see if you even really need to be a real estate agent yep mm -hmm. because this may not be where you need to be Let's look at what your options are. Let's look at your niches because no one probably told you that here are some other things you could be doing that don't require you to even have a license. So you don't need to feed this monster system to keep all these other people employed and the rest of the good agents <laughs> insane because you're just out there and you decide you're gonna come in and do one transaction a year. Yeah. When I was the MLS president, guys, I used to look at the numbers and there were 50% um, or more who didn't even open up the MLS application, you know, in a month. And I, one day we started calling some of the people just to find out, what are you guys doing? Like, why do you have a license? Right. Some of them says, oh, I went to school and I worked so hard for it, so I'm just going to keep it. What? If six weeks is working hard to you, like, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That's what, that's it. and another one, I heard some people like, well, when my parents sell their house, I'm, you know, so your parent is going to sell the house one time. So you're holding on to a license for this. None of this makes sense to me, but that's, those were the responses I was getting. And so when I went across the country um, with 
some of the uh, folks that I was working with on MLS board, I'm like, no wonder this is a billion dollar industry on the MLS side. So when you have MLS presidents who are making over a million dollars annually, the MLS president, not the association president, guys, the MLS president, then you understand that the systems and the hustles that are there are there and designed to keep a lot of folks just in the market doing absolutely nothing. It's predatory, quite honestly. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, I've never actually thought about the MLS before. So that just like made my brain explode. But, um, you know, like we've talked before the four of us about like the way that our real estate commission works here, they're funded by new licensing fees. Yep. So if you're funded by new licensing fees, you're never going to raise the barrier for entry to this business because that would hinder your ability to fund the way things work. So it's, it's very, you know, we all can get on a soapbox about how that needs to happen, <laughs> you know? And so I've seen other cities where like our MLS, and I, I honestly never realized it wasn't all like this, but our MLS is what, like 30 bucks a month around there. There are cities where their MLS dues are like a percentage of each transaction. So like I have some friends in other cities who are paying 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a year to be MLS members. And so you hear a lot of people mm -hmm. saying that will solve the issue. Just make the MLS dues sky freaking high so that nobody can afford it unless they're actually transacting business, but you're right there too. That doesn't serve the fiscal way right. that the MLS is structured, right? So it is, it's like predatory a little bit. It's crazy. Yeah. So can we touch on your experience with NAR? You, you were, are you still a trainer for them or no? Yeah, I'm still a trainer for them. So what do you, I mean, I know what you train on with them, but Tell everybody else what you train on with them. Well, actually, I trained Jessica on probably about 11 or 12 topics, but I don't enjoy all of them. So I, I'm i selective on what I train on now. So in the past, in the last couple of years, um, I used to love at-home with diversity training. Um, and this year was the year I stopped training on that particular topic. Um, that topic is very exhausting. And when you have to go into associations and then there are associations that are in certain um, areas and they always want me to come back. And so then they would tell the other association, she's got to do it. She's got to be the one to do it. And I would be exhausted because it's a full day in your face, you know, dealing with race and just everything. And it is exhausting. It takes me three days to you know, recoup from that. So I stopped doing that and COVID, of course, helped that. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to put that to the side. But my favorites have been over the past few years, RPR, um, intro to commercial lending, a lot of, I mean, that commercial lending, introduction to commercial real estate um, out of NARS group, um, at home with diversity, of course, employer assistant housing, was, I did with you. I have the book. Was always one of my favorites. And then housing opportunities, um, which goes hand in hand with employer assistant housing. And those two courses um, have, I've taught those probably eight or nine years, or probably more than that. And I normally would teach them at uh, NARS conventions. 
when they were having them live and that kind of thing. But the piece of those that made the most sense on the housing opportunities and why I love those in EAH was because it forced an agent when they got to the class and forced them to have to think outside of their traditional box. And if they did it right, they could actually create a business model that they could sell. And then the housing opportunity, that was EH, the housing opportunities kinds of is the bigger picture so that agents are realizing it's not just about traditional homes, you know, your traditional brick and mortar. It's about creating different types of housing options for communities. And when you can pull that information together, put your head around it, you can easily find a niche there. And then that allows you to be able to go and work with cities because the cities is what, and this is one of the things that, and I tell people, I don't chase the bag, the bag chases me because of those kinds of trainings that I, that housing opportunity piece is why the developers in Florida will bypass all of those agents in Florida to come and get me to work on their projects in Florida. Because agents were, so many agents are just focused on a traditional sale and not understanding all of what the developer needs. So when I figured this out, uh, Jessica was in, I did a, um, a training in Kansas and Topeka or something. One of the state associations had asked me to do the employer assistant housing training and that other one, um, housing opportunities. And when I got there, it was a packed room, but <laughs> there were only four real estate agents in the room. Everybody else who was there was a developer or a builder or a city official. And they came to the meeting because they wanted to find real estate professionals who they could work with as they were doing planned developments and creating cities. And the agents in the room just couldn't make the connection of how they needed to show up. And so a perfect example of that was um, Bass Pro was there. And they said, when we come into a market and we decide we're gonna be here, we've already looked at how many houses are here, how much inventory, and we know how many more builds we have to have. So we also have to have housing for the employer employees that are coming in. So we need a real estate team that can house employees. We need a real estate team that can help seniors sell those houses to get to these houses and really be a part of a project that's going to take five years. Because by the time most people see a new development, that's when agents want to start running over to say, oh, I wish I could list that uh subdivision no it's too late by then <laughs> you were supposed to be on the ground years ago to be a part of that development process so that you could be in the middle of the the home so like right now the city that we're building there are over thirty-five thousand homes that are going to be there that's where i'm at so i don't i'm not planning on listing them myself but i am going to refer them to the team who's going to list them so i'll make money off of 3,500 houses as opposed to running around and doing this part of the business or sitting on new construction, which I no longer have a desire to do. I'm not really that much of a come on in, let's look around at the property kind of girl. <laughs> I'm like, even if you come to my house, it's just like, okay, the door is open. 
the bathroom is there. Make yourself at home. And if I'm no longer here, just let yourself out. I probably went to take a nap. So, <laughs> you know, going back into the niche that makes the most sense, you know, for you. And so that's what I see right now as a big missing portion is that agents don't know how to show up to work with these developers and all of these other housing opportunities that are being created. We, we're just not showing up. So we're missing out on those opportunities. Tamika, what made you get into training agents and teaching them um, as opposed to just doing your own thing and staying in your own lane and just being incredible on your own? You decided to help others. So what changed in your mind, or maybe it didn't, like what, what made you um, want to help and teach other agents? So remember when I said I was with the nonprofit? Yeah. I grew up in a nonprofit since I was a kid. So I learned how to write grants when I was 13, and I've always loved teaching and helping. And so even when I got into, uh, when I was working on my bachelor's, the dean asked me to be an adjunct professor because the one thing I, I didn't like the way teachers taught at the college level, I'm like, why are you guys making it so difficult? So I've just always had a passion for teaching and helping and real estate just tied more of that to me because the more I can teach and help, the better communities will be. And so because I'm from a nonprofit background and just love helping, and then I also realized I was a great instructor and that I could write courses and stuff like that. Um, I just stayed in that space. I just loved it. And when I went really, got really focused on NAR and doing that, it was during the time I had to figure out how I was going to make money, you know, too, because, you know, again, I had to hustle up. And so when I studied NAR, back to the study part, I realized that there were three divisions and that you could teach through NAR. And Remember, because we have the DC office and we have the Chicago office, right? So both of those offices have different departments in which you can get a contract to teach. And so again, going back to studying and figuring out where I wanted to be and which courses would make the most sense and what I liked. And I realized agents didn't always have time to you know, connect the dots. And I hated the instructors. I've always hated instructors who weren't actually physically doing yeah. what they're teaching other people to do. <laughs> and I could figure out how to make money in real estate, how to use these programs and make money. And I just wanted to share that because I was like, oh, these instructors are terrible. Um, and mostly because a lot of CE that's created, a lot of states don't allow you teach certain things because if you're teaching about making money, for example, some states say, hey, we, you can't do that under CE. Yeah, I'm CE certified and it's super fun to teach, but mm -hmm. it's like, I think this is the coolest path for a real estate agent ever. Learn it, practice it, make it, give it away. I think that's amazing. Uh, can we touch on the politics with NAR for a second, I guess. Sure. So like, I would love I'm to no know- I'm no longer on my ban. I, I actually used to have a ban. I couldn't talk about certain things, but I'm oh. no longer on that, so. Ooh, no ban. <laughs> well, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be like- ah, No, it's all right, I'm good. <laughs> it's just, I think the general public's opinion of NAR is not that great. And I think especially right now, because they do feel like 
they're allowing all this disruption with tech companies to come into the market and really threaten the agent for the first time ever. So like, do you believe that NAR is for the agent? Do you believe they're doing enough? I think NAR is for NAR. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yep. They're a business. Yep, they're a business just like everybody else. That's it. And so- it's Shocking guys, like, <laughs> The other day there was a Facebook post where like agents, they don't even know what they're talking about. There was a Facebook post about realtor.com and somebody was like, NAR needs to go and make realtor.com a Zillow killer. And I'm like, you guys, NAR doesn't even own. Exactly. Like, I no saw that. They don't own, they don't, they don't own it. What they own is, you know, and it's very, you know, and that's part of the thing I always say. If when you look at an organization and when I got, and I actually got licensed in 2002 and then I got my broker's license in 2004. And when I looked up and I said, during that time, how are they not teaching anything about investing? That didn't happen for years. So that started teaching and telling me to look around and look at stuff. And then once, of course, I got on MLS and saw this billion dollar operation going on and that kind of thing. And I was just like, okay. Um, and I, I remember telling people to look at, if you go back and you look at your MLS documents and you see that you're a subscriber and not a member and you have normally separation from this and then there are meetings you can't go to mm -hmm. um there are books you can't see there is um funds you can't find out where they are going and what they're being spent on and sorry guys but if nar sold a building we don't get a check so that's not our building <laughs> you know that's what i tell folks it's like so this whole oh our nar our offices that's not my office I won't get a damn thing if NAR sells that building in Chicago. Okay? So NAR, like all other organizations, is they're looking out for them, which is why the agent has to take control and look out for themselves because brokers, organizations are going to look out for what they do, which is to stay in business and make money. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest benefit to NAR for agents? The one thing for, I think agents have to create their own benefits for wherever they are in their business. So for me, for example, every year I look at what I'm spending with NAR and then how do I leverage that? So I used to write an article in our association. I'm like, you know, I made $8,000 from this membership. This was my return on my investment. And what I was using it for was, <clears throat> excuse me, because I could use NARS training materials to train and I would choose courses in which I could determine what my price was gonna be. Okay, so that was that's a benefit to me mm -hmm. that I can plug into um, you know, an organization that's got millions of people and then decide what I'm going to charge on this training. So I don't have a limit on what I can make there, right? So that was one. Um, I also used it and I still continue to use it for the politics. So the political aspect and the political arm that they do have is huge. So a lot of people are tied in that way as agents. So an example of that, guys, is 
every time there is a, um, a seat, a senator, um, any local politician or any of those things that I want to see in office, I'm an RPAC trustee. Mm -hmm. So I make sure that we're giving to that campaign. I make sure that there's, when there are events, I show up. I'm the one who brings the check to those folks. So I know all the Congress people who I'm supposed to know. I know all the senators and who I'm supposed to know. I wouldn't be able to have that kind of influence on my own dime. I mean, I could, but it would cost me a lot more than being able to use their dime. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think you really have to look at where, what benefits can I pull from them that can help my business? Because everybody's not there. So I'm on, like I said, a trustees board. Um, I'm on government affairs so that I can keep up with what the economic development corporations are doing in the area, who's bringing jobs in, um, all kinds of things I need for my business. And some agents, for example, if they're new agents or a new brokerage, I tell them to get on um, committees like contracts to learn how to understand contracts that will force them to do that and you know how to stay out of trouble. They can get on the ethics board, <laughs> you know, and all of those things. So there's a lot of things that they can use the organization for, um, except for waiting around for them to come and, you know, have a conference or something. I, I don't know what they should do it, but for everyone's business, you can find some benefits there. Um, I just dig a little deeper because I don't like writing checks that don't bring me a return on investment. <laughs> I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> I tell folks, no, you don't, because then you have bags under your eyes for hanging out to 3 a.m. Like I have no damn sense. <laughs> like you had a fun night, though, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when the family comes looking for you, you know, you're like, hey, and saying, like, what is open during COVID? Like, what are you, where are you at? <laughs> you're in Florida. It's like business as usual, isn't it? Oh well, yeah, but I'm right. Right now I'm in Kansas City. Okay. So, yeah, I fly out tomorrow to the Dominican Republic. And then when I come back, then I'm going to Florida. Okay. Nice vacation in the Dominican? No, properties. Fine properties. But okay, I'll, so I want to go kick it. I'll kick it a little bit. I'll kick it a little bit in DR. I want to go back to that really quick, the investing thing. Um, so I, I would love to hear your story of how you bought your first investment property, but I would also love to hear um, when is an agent ready to invest? They should have did it last when they first, before they even got a license, they should have been investing. Yes. It's like people don't teach us. This is the only, this is the only time that it's okay to get hired in your own supply. Okay. I love that. Only like damn that. time. Only damn time. And we're so, gonna get you a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I'm like, I don't know. And when I talk to people, agents, and I'm like, what's going on? Well, that's what I got my license to do was to invest. And I'm like, okay, but it's six years later. Why haven't you started? Like well, the, I gotta have this, this much money. Game. I gotta have this much credit, or I've gotta have the, you know. I'm like, this is the long game. So I don't. I, if you're hustling and you are really into this and there is no turning back and for people who are listening, this is how you know if it's no turning back or whatever's going on. Figure out how much you need to retire. 
when you go and do, uh, I send people calculators all the time. Get, let me see your retirement numbers. If people don't know that they need $2 million, $3 million to retire, and if they then find that out and they have no desire to invest or anything else, I don't even let them in my circle. Because, and the easiest way to do it is through real estate. But it, it means you have to get going earlier, not later. <laughs> you don't want to start investing in your 60s. You want to go as soon as you can. And we're right there amongst the properties. It's like, how do we help investors and all these people create wealth and we're not doing it for ourselves? So my first investment property I brought with, well, the one that I brought with my husband that was mine, because I had some others that weren't mine and my name because there was no holds barred. So I just don't believe that no money, no this, no that. There's always a way to acquire real estate. So the one that I brought with my husband, we used the money from our wedding and brought a property. We were living in New York. We brought a property in New Mexico, sight unseen in a new subdivision. We still have that property that was over 20 years ago, but we knew if you run the numbers and I'll just run them really quickly, guys, if I brought a property now for a hundred thousand and in 20 years, I can guesstimate that it'll be 200,000. Okay. By the time, and I make those rentals, by the time I get from this year to that 20th year, the loan would be paid off. And let's say I did this 10 times, the loan would be paid off. I'd be getting at least $2,000 in rents. So right there, I'd be getting 20,000 a month in rents and I'd have $2 million in equity out of 10 properties. So what do you say to agents who are, I don't have the money, I don't have the credit, I'm not ready. Making excuses. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the credit. I didn't have the look. I, I mean, I could come up with a whole bunch of things of what I didn't have. I didn't even have a mentor. I didn't have the internet. I didn't. Have, when they sent me the property to the one in New Mexico, guys, it was on a sheet of paper, like a stick figure. They mailed it. And they were like, sign right here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, oh, hell. All right, well, here we go. And just, I jumped out the window. But the one thing I knew, and the one thing you guys know about new construction is what? Get in early enough. Even if you don't keep the property, <laughs> selling it and all those kind of things. And now it's so much easier than what it was before because everybody has got a YouTube channel telling you that you can do contract for deeds, wholesale. Um, like when somebody tells me they don't have any money, like an agent, that's my favorite one from them. I don't have any money and I'm, and I'm going, okay. And I have a checklist and I'll say, what are these 11 things can you do? And it's everything from find a buyer, find the contractors and all that kind of stuff. Normally they can do nine or 10 of those things. That same document is what new investors learn to do. That's how they start flipping by doing those 11 things. And so I say to the agents, here you are with the knowledge to do everything that these investors are doing. Why wouldn't you partner up with the investor? And instead of going after 3%, you're in it at 50%. We're partners. 
50 50 and I still have to list and do all those other kind of things because I'm the licensed agent. Because most investors who are coming in, if they've got funding or money, whatever, they normally don't have time. Most of them are not realtors either. That's brilliant. Yeah, not most, 99% of the ones I found in Kansas City weren't. Mm -hmm. And so I've had a certain number of group of them under retainers, all the investors who were attorneys and stuff like that, I put them under retainers. Y'all pay me monthly to find your properties and I'll, cause I know how you guys work. You know, it's a group of you guys can't make a decision together. So put them under retainer. A couple of them, I go in partnerships with them and then other properties I was buying. So if they were buying three, four a month, cause they had the capital to do it, then I would make sure I got one. Mm-hmm. And when they were going through contractors and stuff like that, I was using their contractors, learning what they were doing, and then also using alternative financing. Mm-hmm. Not everybody needs to be at a bank to get money. <laughs> I'm like, I go to hard money person. It didn't matter because I was going to turn this money around quickly. So it didn't, it's like, oh, I'm going to wait for my credit. Okay, by the time you wait for your credit, we could have made forty, fifty thousand dollars in the time you waiting to get your credit together, and that's a whole nother year. We could have done three, four flips and made a hundred grand already. Which you, you know. use the income from to fix your exactly. Credit. Yeah, and so it's just about like I tell folks: either you have, if you don't have cash or credit, then you have to have creativity. Ooh, like it. Are you into short-term rentals at all? Yeah, so I have. <laughs> The ones, that's why I said, remember I was telling you my husband and I do different stuff. So when I moved down and I started doing some other properties for some investors, I found what I call my beach mom. And I asked them to show me their books, her and her husband. And I looked at their books, guys, and they were bringing in about 450,000 a month on 10 properties. But they have been doing this before Airbnb and all these other systems and all that kind of stuff. So I just really sat down and asked them, how did they do it? What did they get done? And then I started taking my other properties and turning them into, you know, short-term rentals and all kinds of different things um, using the, of course, new technology and that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, more of my properties are on that than my husband's, but that was because he didn't realize what I was doing. And so when it got down to the numbers one day and I was like, okay, so you're going to make 12,000 for the year. I'm going to make it a month. And I'm making that in a month. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could come back sometime if you're willing and talk to us for another hour just about Airbnb. Cause that's so big right now. That's something I'm really personally interested in. I just get a little bit freaked out by it because I do feel so niched. And so strong, like in my market where I normally operate, if you gave me a street, I know the neighborhood and I could give you approximate value, right? So like it freaks me out to go to the mountains, go to another city, go to like where you are and buy a property where I know nothing about it, you know, (laughs) but I, I, it's something that I really, really want to jump into because I'm watching these numbers that people are making and it's blowing my mind right and the person who is niched in this the most that i love if you guys have not um it's it's she's created a system called virolio oh 
I don't know if you've ever seen me post any of her information, uh-uh. Jessica, before, but she's taught at um, my Teach at the Beach conference. Um, and she she's in Florida. She's out of the Orlando area, but she has created a national database um, on short-term rentals. So you can go in there and look for properties. You can run numbers, um, just all of those kind of things. I don't know why her name is, is leaving my head right now, but just the she is dominating this space and there's been all kind of write-ups on her um and so normally that's who i go to and her information to keep me abreast of what's going on on the tech side and then of course i go to my beach mom and them because they are out they built their website from scratch and all that kind of stuff and did that part and the one thing i did find about the um, short-term rental was just like all the other rental stuff is that i don't I just invest in the property. I don't want to talk to the people. Um, I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. So I had to outsource that to the people with the personalities because a lot of it is about the repeat clients coming back. And I just like staying on the run and collecting checks. So I actually hire um, someone else to do that part of all property management for me. I don't touch any of my rentals. Um, in terms of collecting or talking to the person who's utilizing the the property. My husband always says if I had to be the one who was talking to the people, we wouldn't get rents at all. Yeah. But <laughs> whatever. It's just like I'm gonna I'm I'm ready to go. Like just pay your rent and then you know, no one lives. I for find free. you to be very charming in person. You know, I don't want to be on your bad side. Like, I don't want to like, Airbnb and have a party and have you cut like, no, but I think you're very charming. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, that's, that's why it's like, I just go from zero to 200. There's like nothing in between. So I just want to stay on the fun side. And normally if I, ha- if it has to get into, well, I can't pay my rent. And then I see that you have four pairs of shoes that you're pulling in from the garage. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Where my husband would be like, well, let's set up a payment plan or let me get the property manager. Like he's the more patient one and stuff like that. So I'm like, I don't have any of those properties anymore. And my son, all his properties are section eight or something else because he just likes the checks in the mail kind of thing and hires out the PM. But because I'm like, look, I've got a specific piece that, you know, my creative side of investing and working with developers and like I have specific things that I know. And I always tell people when I can stand toe to toe with anybody and say, no, they're not better than me at that, then, you know, I mean it. And so that's why I'm like, no, I'm not a great buyer's agent. I'm not a great listing agent anymore. There are lots of people who are better than me. So that's why I don't do those things. Let me refer that business to the people who are better at it than I am. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah, no, but I think that's also an important distinction too, is that you niched yourself, but then you like unniched yourself when you were done with those things, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that, I mean, even myself included agents hang on to, I think a lot longer than they should is like, I've been successful at a buyer, as a buyer's agent. I hate it. <laughs> I'm ready to move on, you know, but like I'm successful at it. So they don't detach from it or, you know, I've been a really solid listing agent, but I'm, I'm done. I'm burned out. I'm ready for someone else to take this fall. We also don't unattach from those niches 
because probably it, it took so much work to get into them in the first place and it's a lot of scarcity, but we also need to learn to be more like you and, and move on and move up when we're ready. Tell, I tell people all the time, if when I detach and go to where I'm supposed to be, then my income increases sometimes five or six times more than what I was doing before because I'm more passionate about what it is that I'm doing. And so a lot of people are dragging themselves as being buyer's agents and they hate it. They hate going to the houses. They hate putting people in the cars or following them or printing out MLS papers and stuff. They hate it. And I'm like, why would you sit in a space that you hate? So let's figure out how you get into a space that you love. There is room for you when you find your, you know, your niche. And so that's why I can have such a good time and love what I do. And our business is designed and set up for us to still make money by referring. So, <laughs> and it's like, I'm niched in certain things. And so I can take those things and be in several markets at the same time as well. I'm not even limited to one market. I can do what I do in Dominican Republic. I can do what I do in Hawaii. I can do what I do in Utah. I can do what I do one month in Florida, two months in Cali, whatever it is I want to do. It's like, I just got a message while, um, before I was coming up and they were like, oh yeah, we need you in Barbados at the end of the year. All I hear is beaches, beaches, beaches. No. Hey, that's right, Jessica, because I, <laughs> that's why I tell them, like, if it's a beach, then put me there. I need my toes in the sand. So <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> so that's why I created that brand, Black Beach Bum. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I've been playing with this brand for the last couple of years, and I went and trademarked it. I'm like, I'm really a Black Beach Bum. Yeah, I just, I want to do business where I want to do business, where I want to be happy, where I want to have fun. Because at a certain time, guys, you get to a point where it's like, okay, the kids are gone. My kids are out of the house. My dog has died. My, I don't have any parents to take care of. I don't even have a plant to take care of. And so when you get to a space where it's like, all you have to do is worry about you, and the spouse or whatever they're doing, then what do, what do you really want to be doing? Where do you want to be? So I just like, okay, well, I'm gonna start setting myself up for when that day happens. And now my kids are 23 and 27, they'll be, you know, 23 and 27. So yeah, why would I sit around and do stuff I don't want to do? See, I'm behind the ball. My 20 year old's moving out next month. <laughs> <laughs> the ball that's all I'm hearing and beaches so. yeah that's why I tell folks but look, look at your guys's business you can work in three markets or two markets you can do what you love to do from where you are and then identify where you want to hang out and be and do that same exact thing there so if you like working with sellers and you like a beach why aren't you working with sellers at the beach We've got RPR that allows us to be in two systems, you know, to see what's going on in other markets. We can join several MLSs if we wanted to. There are planes that just, hey, let me jump on over here. Social media and technology has allowed us to do business wherever we want to do business. I just want to say thank you for giving me the kick in the ass I need uh, <laughs> to go buy a damn house in Panama City Beach because I was there for Christmas for a week. 
And I looked at investment properties there and I just didn't pull the trigger because I was like, well, I don't have $4 million. What the hell am I going to do? I can't get in this market. So I made an excuse for myself and then I probably paid $10,000 for that week on one of your damn properties. So now I'm pissed. And people have not stopped. And for Panama City Beach, Angela, as you, are, as you keep going in there, you see how it continues to grow. And mm -hmm. there are no, there's only one more project that can be built there. And that's two doors from my office. Um, and I'm, the architect is on our team for some other stuff. So, you know, in getting in that space, I'm just like, why not hang out here? It's a tax write-off. My office is there. You know, the office owns the con, you know, the condo, which the office is in, you know, why am I, I can sell real estate there. I can refer business there if I wanted to. Um, I've got two agents down there who work, so I refer business to them and they manage the uh, properties. Renee, Renee manages the um, rentals. Susie works on the development side and hey, when it gets cold, that's where I go. <laughs> so cool. Cause I think it shows people that like you can easily do what you want to do in this business. You can live this really cool, super fun life, make a lot of money and give back to your community and not have to compromise and work all these crazy hours and do all these crazy things. So crazy things. we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and being so open. Like you're such a badass. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. And I'm glad to uh, kick, kick you in the ass, Angela. That's what Thank I, you. I really I enjoy. It. I really enjoy pushing folks like, come on, we can do this. Let's go. Let's go. There's so much world out there. So mm -hmm. much fun to be had. Oh my God. I'm going to have to give you my phone number. So you text me every morning and you're like, <laughs> here's your deal. We're buying a house today. Let's go. Let's get going. Like, I'm, I mean, when I see these eight, this 80 year olds, my beach parents, she didn't go past high school. And I'm looking at their numbers, guys, and I'm going, they don't have real estate degrees or anything. And they're, they're pulling a 450000 a month? A month. She drives around on her Tesla, red Tesla down on the beach, perfectly dressed, perfectly all, all the time put together. And they're doing nothing because they have someone who is picking the stuff up. So <sighs> I just, um, just want to encourage people to get outside of their box and get going. Weekend. Well, you definitely have today. So thank you. Alrighty, cool. Well, thanks for having me, ladies. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.